Hi everyone, this is Hannah. Before the show gets started, just wanted to say my audio isn't so great because I had a few technical issues, but I hope that doesn't get in the way of you enjoying this incredible episode. Enjoy. Oh my god. What is that? There's like three airplanes, three giants. There's more. Hi, this is low. I think they just went over at my place too. Yeah, I can still hear it. Oh my god, there's so many airplanes. Why do they keep coming? They're like small, medium sized. Is there gonna be a war? The war on COVID? They start dropping bombs on COVID. Wait. <laughs> Ten planes just released like a lot of white fumes. Oh my god, the conspiracy theorist listening to this must be freaking the fuck out. <laughs> I know. Honestly, I am that conspiracy theorist. Hello everyone. Welcome to the show. It's me, Sherilyn. Hi everyone, this is Hannah. And you are listening to We Live in a Film Society. It's a show about movies and the meaning we give them. Sherilyn, what are we talking about today? Oh my gosh, we are talking about a wild documentary that I found on Netflix called Behind the Curve. The podcast has a great guest today and it's the director of the movie. Daniel Clark. Woo! I have so many questions for him, Sherilyn. I can't wait to get to that part of this show. Same. So, Behind the Curve, directed by Daniel Clark. It is a documentary that follows the Flat Earth movement as of 2017. That's the gist of it. It's so juicy. The entire documentary was such a thrill ride for me. I can't even explain how much I enjoyed watching it. Also... Spoilers. Spoilers. There will be spoilers throughout this entire episode. Always, always. But I still think that if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this podcast before you see the movie, I still think it's definitely worth going in and watching. I've seen this documentary personally maybe three times. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah, it's one of those documentaries that I think it's fun to watch it with somebody else because you got to pause it, look <laughs> over to the person next to you and talk about what just happened. I had so many reactions watching this documentary and really wished that I got to watch it with you, honestly. I know, I know. Ugh, social distancing. We'll watch it. I'll watch it for a fourth time. Yes. I think that the way that he handled the whole controversial conspiracy side of what these individuals were talking about he did very honestly show where they blatantly disregard scientific process but he also showed why we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. you know Definitely. he didn't think that that meant we should push them to the fringe of society i think he was interested in showing the humanity side there was even a quote that was like you know without empathy there's not going to be any true connection or something like along those lines i like that idiom by the way not throwing out the baby with the (laughs) bathwater. i'm always trying to learn new idioms you're from texas so y'all use idioms Yeah, there's a lot of idioms in Texas, lots of very poetic language sometimes. So what's your relationship with the Flat Earth Movement? How aware of this were you before you saw this documentary? 
basically i've heard of flat earthers don't know any myself didn't know that it was a big community and thought it was a thing of the past (laughs) yes I, too, thought it was a thing of the past. I did not understand that it was a growing cultural present-day phenomenon that was going on. I actually once, it feels like a dream now, but this was real life. I was at some party at someone's house, and they had one of those 3D dioramas of a flat earth. From the documentary? From the documentary. (gasps) I don't know if it was from that specific artist or if he is the sole artist that is creating these, then it absolutely was. So basically in the documentary, for a little bit of context, if you haven't seen it, there's this really handy person builds art things like clocks and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Then he's like, I want to contribute to the Flat Earth Society. How can I contribute? And so he makes these Flat Earth diorama art things and sells them. So this is what Hannah's saying she saw at a party. (laughs) Where were you? It was in the state of California, in the city of Los Angeles. And it was some shindig where a bunch of my filmmaker friends were all together. And so I looked at this diorama and it really was cool. I thought it was an interesting interpretation of the world. (laughs) I had no idea what the context was of it. You're like, wow, look at this unique abstract art. Yes, exactly. And the person across the table looked up at me. His eyes got wide. He raised his eyebrows and he's like, that's a flat earth. (laughs) He knew what it was and he was not about it. He was probably shocked that it was there. And I was just like, what does that mean? And he said, oh, there are people that believe the world is flat and this is what it looks like. And I was floored. That was the first time I had really heard and understood that this was a thing. So that was wild. That was my introduction to the flat earth, I guess, culture that is existing. It's interesting how some people choose to fight for animal rights or some people are trying to defund the police. Some people are... Christians that knock on people's door and want to ask if they know Jesus. There are people all across the spectrum of, I guess, right and wrong. (laughs) That might be saying it a little black and white, but all across the spectrum. And it's just really interesting because this documentary is following people that are on that spectrum. They just chose to make their fight educating Mm -hmm. people on the fact that they think that the earth is flat. This is their fight. This is their Jesus. This is the good news that they want to spread. And they believe it with all of their hearts. There's a scene in the movie where these guys so confidently are just walking up to people. And they're like, hey, have you heard of the Flat Earth Movement? And then they have their talking points. They have their... Oh, yeah, the ping pong guy. Oh, my gosh, that the scene. I did that. That scene <laughs> where he's just bouncing. That oh, my really gosh. Funny. It was just funny. It's It's hard to not want to make fun of these people they make it so damn easy (laughs) well and it's like I don't want to say that I'm making fun of him but he was a huge character they're all characters like the idea that he was doing these brain exercises and bouncing this ping pong ball on this mallet while he's having this interview for the documentary he was the same guy that was reading a passage out of a book while he was driving (laughs) the documentarians down this road yeah all the subjects in this documentary are such 
interesting, unique, funny characters, but some of them are super normal. Like there's Patricia Steer. She's this beautiful redhead who hosts this podcast show about the Flat Earth movement. And she comes from a radio background. She's very well-spoken. She dresses really nice. She's kind of like a cool older woman. And she seems totally fine and totally normal. And she has this interesting relationship with Mark Sargent. Interesting, as in like, ooh, will they, won't they? They are the Brad and Jen of their world. They're the Brad and Jen of the Flat Earth Society. And they're just kind of leading this thing together. And I loved them. There are parts where I'm like, all right, you guys are being arrogant. You're being mean-spirited or whatever. But they also have their moments where they're funny. They have such a good dynamic together. You were a fan. I was a fan of them together. I want Patricia to also be in the limelight a little more because I thought she really leveled him out (laughs) she had a great moment where she started talking about the concept of her beliefs and conspiracy when the conspiracy theorists got conspiracy theorized by math powerland powerland who was saying that they were plotted in there and how are you gonna argue with a guy named math powerland powerland it's a powerful name no kidding sergeant Mark Sargent is kind of this alpha figure of the whole movement. So there's this juxtaposition of him at home with his mom. He lives with his mom. And then there's him at the first Flat Earth conference. So it's just a really interesting dynamic. There's a funny moment with him and his mom in the kitchen where they're talking about dinner rolls. And it just is so funny and cute to me. His mom is so sweet and even when yes. she's asked do you believe in this she's really trying to make space for it to be fine with her that mark believes this even if she isn't totally convinced you know she is supporting him financially and emotionally i loved that one jump cut from ping pong guy saying like i don't know where these stereotypes come from i don't know any flat earthers that live with their mom and then it's smash cuts to Mark yeah. and his mother. <laughs> While this documentary is kind of about this topic that's really unfortunate, that thousands of people are believing in Flat Earth, it's a light, fun documentary. And I think what helps make it so fun is the editing. It is constructed very, very well. We just get so many great scenes. The access that the documentary had. Yeah. In between all of the Flat Earth conversations with the Flat Earthers, we have interviews with astronomers and physicists and psychologists and experts. Someone who actually went to space. A literal astronaut. Mm -hmm. It's cool to see these pros talk about it, then back to the flat earthers. And none of it is done in a way where they're making fun of it. We're not making fun of the flat earthers throughout the whole movie. They say some things that it's like, you just made yourself sound pretty goofy. And we're not going to hide that. Yeah, there were some great moments where Daniel didn't shy away from showing the contradictions that the flat earthers presented for example mark was talking about how the truman show is this great beacon of having that moment of understanding that the world is larger than it has been presented to us and he's saying if you were the mayor of that town and you found the exit but you had such a cushy life within it why would you question it why would you leave 
And then Daniel asked, well, would you say that you're the mayor of the Flat Earth Movement at this point? And he understood that by accepting that title, he was limiting his own ability to experience a change of mind, which is exactly where the conversation goes after that. Yeah, because he's not changing his mind. He can't. That was a huge theme of the film, I thought, was this sense of finding identity and purpose and simultaneously finding community. So if he gave up his cause, if he gave up the flat earth fight, should he ever want to consider that? It would be the end of him socially. He would have no community. Exactly. Something that Mark and a bunch of the higher up flat earthers kept saying was, why is there no one in academics that talks about flat earth? And their argument was, well, can you imagine if someone in academics would say that the earth was flat, they would be kicked out of the institution. They would be ridiculed. And that's probably because no one in academics believes that the earth is flat. Because we as a society have agreed to value scientific method above other methods. And our motivation is curiosity and we have no bias in this. We have a question, we use a scientific method, and we're not disappointed when we're wrong because that's not our purpose in research. We're not trying to find an answer that makes us happy. We're just trying to find any answer. That would be true scientific method. Correct. And there is an experiment that happens. This whole documentary basically leads up to the Flat Earth Conference. And during that conference, you get all the higher up Flat Earth people talking about this experiment that's going to happen. They have expensive scientific equipment and they have a pretty good experiment. Oh, yeah. I loved the experiment. I was hyped for the experiment because they did lay down their hypothesis. At one point, they tried it and it was a failed experiment. And the ending climactic moment was this second go at this experiment. I was ready for it. I felt like I was at the Super Bowl. I was like, let's see what happens. That was my Super Bowl. The documentarians explain the experiment that the flat earthers are doing to the scientists and the researchers and thinkers, and everyone's kind of surprised. They're like, oh, this is actually a pretty unique and interesting experiment. And so they end up doing this experiment. We're not going to spoil it to you, but, you know, the earth ain't flat, so you kind of know what happens. And then when you find out that you can't, support your theory with your experiment what happens Mm -hmm. because that's public knowledge for all the flat earthers and just like what are they gonna do i really appreciated one of the scientific writers that they were talking to he had an amazing enthusiasm for these individuals and their experiment and i love that i love that he's giving them props where props are due you know and he appreciates a good experiment and he appreciates scientific method regardless of who's at the controls of that experiment and i think someone else had this really insightful perspective that was essentially if the scientific community turns their back on these individuals it's almost a loss to the community because the scientific community is driven by people who are constantly questioning what the reality of things actually is and coming up with ways to test that 
I really appreciated that not everyone treated the flat earth movement with incredulous, dismissive attitudes, you know? Yes, great words. That was a really beautiful moment. A bunch of professors and people from Caltech were at a bar and there's this one guy who's acknowledging the flat earthers and the flat earth movement and everyone's kind of laughing. It's very lighthearted and then it gets serious and he's like, we can't turn our back on these people. It was a very powerful moment. It was very beautiful. He also happened to be one of the few black guys in Mm -hmm. the room, which also was really powerful for me because I was like, of course, the one that is the most understanding is the person that knows what it's like to be a person of color in academics. And I think that's the moment where I was like, it isn't funny anymore to kind of make fun of these people. It's like, they're all, we're all lost to some degree. And for whatever reason, they can't trust in the government. They can't trust in society. They can't trust in other people. And it manifests itself in fighting to spread the news of the flat earth movement. I think there are two themes that you're touching on that I found really impactful in this movie, which was ego, both on the side of flat earthers, but also on the side of scientists, Mm -hmm. which actually leads me to this theme of winning over finding truth and flat earthers when they have done the experiment and then reject the results because it's not what they were expecting or wanted are also rejecting the very method that they are enacting. You can't ignore the fact that this can be applied to literally anything, but especially what's happening right now with all these people that are anti-wearing your mask for political reasons. You know, everything's politicized now. Mm -hmm. and For the sake of winning. For the sake of winning. We all want to be winners. Nobody wants to be a loser. I don't want to call flat earthers losers, but I will say that they all seemed to be ostracized in some way in their lives which the documentary touches on and it's sad for a moment there's this guy who he's like you know my daughters don't talk to me my wife left me I was like god this is depressing I don't want this to sound like I am belittling or making fun of anyone but I think there was a point to the fact that the documentary spent a moment to say Mark had been a pinball champion because it's not necessarily macho and he comes from this humble beginning and I feel like that adds up to a person who sees that I don't fit in society the way society tells me I should fit in and so if I can gain any sort of traction in the way of like I am a leader in a community I think that's what draws a lot of people who are outsiders. It brings them confidence. It brings them confidence and it brings them community that they didn't have before. Yeah. And this is why it's important to embrace your uniqueness. Be confident in your weird ass self. It's on society. We live in a society that teaches us to reject people that are not She said it. We live in a society. We live in a society, people. And it's on us. Honestly, I think that's another major takeaway from this film for me is we're all responsible for flat earthers. They are in our society, whether we accept them or reject them individually. Yes. We should sympathize as much as we can with also understanding that, and they touch on this on the documentary, that these people do have an impact on society. There is a negative impact 
if you believe that the earth is flat, it trickles down into other conspiracies. It's shit like the mask. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some overlay of the Venn diagram of flat earthers and people who don't wear masks. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe there's not, but definitely flat earthers and people that believe in some other things, you know? Yeah, because when you disbelieve one thing that the rest of our society so heavily relies on, like science, then all of a sudden anything is possible, right? Anything is possible. That becomes a threat to the society that we exist in. (sighs) Yeah. You know, there was one thing... I wanted to bring up at one point, Mark mentioned when you're not a speck of dust on a tiny speck of dust in the universe, this idea that when you're not insignificant, then you are the star of the show. I think that the star of the show is a direct quote from his mouth. Yeah, He needed to feel important and he needed recognition as a character I feel like that's how he was built and I just thought that that was really interesting don't we all just want to be the star of the show Hannah we all want purpose that's a very human thing I think and that's a good thing to remember when trying to find empathy with these individuals that on the surface we really don't agree with about something very fundamental We all want attention. We all want to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. But sometimes for me, personally, there's some peace in knowing that none of it matters. (laughs) I'm a speck of dust in space and uh, we're all going to die. So uh, (laughs) whoops, I took it there again. Okay, well, I think with that, we can take a break. That was a lot. That was a lot. We're like, let's keep it short so that we can talk to Daniel. (laughs) And we're like talking about the meaning of life. On that note, stay tuned. We're going to be talking to the director of this documentary. Oh, yeah. Quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Hello. 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 Daniel, I'm so excited to talk to you. We are chomping at the bit to get going. Yeah, we're pretty riled up for a Tuesday afternoon. Could I do a quick intro? Yes. All right. We're back from our break. Maybe there was a commercial. Maybe there wasn't. We'll find out. (laughs) And we're here with Daniel J. Clark, the director of Behind the Curve. Welcome. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I just painted this weekend, so that's all I've done past three days painted like painted my apartment the interiors a lot of window work nice that's a big painting job it wasn't a bob ross situation no it's not my kind of thing where are you located i'm in glendale california oh cool we're all in california awesome okay let's just get into it okay my first question for you is what is your relationship with documentary in general i started in documentary as soon as i moved to la I got an internship at a documentary company. I didn't expect to be in it. I was ready to be a cinematographer. That's all I wanted to do. And then I got a job and they were like, oh, you can edit. That's cool. Here's a job. And I was like, oh, cool. All right. This is fun. And I worked in it for a long time as an editor and I also do sound mixing. And I would also go on shoots and work with the director, be second camera, second unit, something like that, fill in when the director couldn't be there. That built up a lot of my skills and a lot of my knowledge on documentaries. And editing, I always say, is the best role to be in if you want to be a documentary filmmaker because 
that's where the story does come together. For sure. And so to know what you need to edit a scene is really important when you go out and shoot. Sure, you can shoot someone walking for a long time and get a really good story, but you're going to want to edit that down. So you need to get the B-roll to cover that to make it not terrible. Yeah. How long would you say that you have been making documentaries? I have been working in and making documentaries for 10 years. From my very first internship to, hey, I'm going to go film some stuff. Do you want to (laughs) come to North Carolina and film these kids at this school? Yeah, sure. I'll go. Cool. A lot of stuff that's turned into nothing and then some stuff that's turned into great things. Because I feel like I've worked on a few projects where I'm like, yeah, I'll hold the camera. I'll be there. And I'm like, what is going on? on who nobody Mm -hmm. here should be telling a story about this (laughs) it's a very specific example no i haven't had too many bad experiences like that the first thing i ever worked on was a documentary called if you build it directed by pat creed and and christine o'malley produced it they were eps on our project because the three core of our team caroline nick and me we all worked for them at some point oh yeah it was nice i bet they were real proud (laughs) i think so i think so (laughs) Yeah, I started with that, and that movie turned out great. Yeah. I've worked on a few documentaries that I'm just like, what is happening? I don't I don't know what, to, or like a few shows that, like, we need a second camera operator for this show, and then I do it, and they're like, sign this NDA, and I was like, why? I'm not going to tell anyone. <laughs> You're like, no, not necessary. <laughs> you couldn't pay me to tell anyone. I don't even know what we just did. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't know what to call this. Yeah. And then editing, I've done a lot of editing, and that's the more comfortable version of documentary filmmaking. You just sit in a nice air-conditioned room. Not talk to people. But I like both. I like getting out there and meeting people, and I love to travel, or at least I did back in the day. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've heard that in narrative filmmaking, the story is written three times, once as a script, once when it's being made, and then once when it's edited. Yes. Do you think that's the same with documentary filmmaking? You know, in documentary, unless it's a historical documentary, there's usually not a script. You go out there with an intention, say for this, is like, I want to film Mark and his mom, just kind of a slice of life sort of thing. And I want to get to know Mark and walk around the beach with him and maybe have him explain some stuff to me. And then you go and get it and capture it as best you can. And then the edit is definitely where you either decide that scene works or it doesn't work. We edited as we went. So Nick Andert, the editor and also producer on the film, he and I have worked together since we both moved out at like the same time, same job, everything. Yeah. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So I know that if I shoot the right thing, he'll know what to do with that footage. So we kind of don't have to have too much communication between shooting and editing. Wow, what a luxury. <laughs> I know, it's great. So I would send him footage and we'd edit it while we were still shooting everything. So we'd know if we were missing something, we needed to get it. Like, hey, we're missing this story beat. We won't know that the conference is going to happen if we don't have someone saying it. So mm-hmm. that sort of thing. To answer your question about the process versus narrative, I would say that editing is more the writing part of documentaries than anything yeah. else. You know, you go in with a plan, with an idea of the story you want to tell, but it's only after you capture everything that you can look at it all and say, okay, how do I collage this together to make a story? Yeah. So it's in order, kind of. Yeah, more or less. I think we jump around between some characters here and there, but the first time you see Mark is the first time I shot with him. Uh, Great. So of all of the conspiracies and all of the content out there in this sort of genre, how did you come to decide on Flat Earthers as your subject matter? I have a few people in my life who are conspiracy theorists, and I've kind of been fascinated and bothered and whatever you want to say about 
how they're so strong in their beliefs. And then Nick came across some flat earth posts on Reddit. I was like, we should make a documentary about flat earthers. And immediately we were both like, okay, but it's not about flat earthers. It's about conspiracies and belief in certain things that are completely falsifiable. So we like to use this as an analogy that people can grasp onto from all walks of life because the majority of people will not think the earth is flat and look at flat earthers as being objectively wrong. Whereas there are a lot more subtly different conspiracies or like less black and white, I guess you could say, than flat earth. So we wanted to use flat earth as an analogy or as a lens for other beliefs. Yeah. You also had a really nice moment in the documentary where one of the scientists was discussing how flat earth kind of seemed like an innocuous or mild step into conspiracy until it leads to bigger conspiracies and more distrust of what many of us consider reality. Yeah, I don't know if you watched John Oliver's Last Week Tonight, but he had an episode about conspiracy theories and that laid it out well. We're not happy that this is a manifestation of that thought, but it does seem to be that people who are driven by conspiracies are not trusting sources and now it's actually leading to a lot of problems and death in a lot of cases. Exactly. So you mentioned that you pretty much shot the film that we saw almost in the order that we saw, save for picking up moments with some of the subjects Mm -hmm. who were not Mark. I am curious to know at what point in the filmmaking process did you realize what your story was? From the very beginning, we knew we wanted to cover the conference because it was the first conference of its kind, first international Flat Earth conference ever. Well, at least in modern history. So we had the idea in, I think, April of 2017, and the conference was November of 2017. A lot of times in documentary, people are like, oh, the movie's about this subject. It's about this idea. And it's like, well, then what happens in the movie? So you always need a framing device from a very technical point of view. As a documentary editor, you need some sort of skeleton. It's a documentary model where you have a culmination event and then you have all these people who Mm -hmm. are going to go. So we decided to do was talk to Mark, see if we had anything. We talked to him. We did. We realized we should probably talk to other people who are going to be speaking at the conference and kind of more larger figures in the flat earth community. And so... That was the structure for the film. The story that unraveled was kind of, as we went, we just said, well, okay, this needs to be in the movie. And actually, I was filming with Bob Nodell in Denver when I learned about the laser test that was going to be happening. We loved it. After that, we were going to go interview Tim Urban and Paris Stockness in New York. And it really worked out because I learned about this laser test. Then I was able to ask Tim about it. And we got that reaction and the science point of view on that laser test. Which I Mm -hmm. loved their reaction. They were like, oh, shit. Yeah, the enthusiasm was really fun to watch. Yeah. And then in November, I went out and filmed the actual test itself. And then after the conference, I went back and did another test. So good. Yeah, I was at my brother's up in uh, Portland. And I learned that they were going to do another test the day after Thanksgiving. And I flew down like 6 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving. Bye, fam. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Was your family like, what are you doing again? <laughs> you know, I forced my brother and my mom and my sister-in-law to watch the movie when I was at his place for Thanksgiving. We we're like, we don't know what we're going to get with this last laser test, but if we get this, we'll put this here. If we get this, we'll put this here. Yeah. And my mom secretly told my brother that she just like, I don't, I don't think his movie's good. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say to him. 
<laughs> and my brother was like, hey, Dan, uh, mom thinks your movie's bad. That's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just need you to know mom hates your movies. <laughs> <laughs> She's seen it again and she likes it. At least that's what she told me. Who needs festival appreciation when your mom <laughs> approves of your documentary? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, all those things kind of just started coming together and we got very lucky. I mean, we started filming in June and we were done by December. Wow. That doesn't happen in a documentary. And you wrapped so quickly. Yeah, we premiered a year and a day from when we had the idea to make the movie. We premiered at wow. Hot Docs in Toronto. That's that is unreal. Nice. Yeah, we got spoiled. And now we're dealing with other subjects that are taking years and it's <laughs> just it's less satisfying. I feel like every great movie that's ever happened has had a massive amount of luck. That's just filmmaking it's all of the elements coming together at the right moment for you to be able to make a compelling story that has longevity and impact and you really never know i think icarus is a really good example if you've Mm -hmm. both seen it that movie was not supposed to be as good as it was or as complicated (laughs) or as complex so good on the filmmakers to keep filming and realize that this is more important than the initial thing i was trying to say for anyone who hasn't seen icarus it's about the Russian doping scandal, but it starts off with a guy who's just trying to do some drugs. Just kidding. He's uh, <laughs> he's doing a, an experiment where he's doping himself, but it leads to him finding... Anyways, that's not what we're talking about, but another great documentary where things unravel. I was really impressed with the subjects you had that seemed to span the entire gamut of what you were discussing. Mm -hmm. You really gave the audience the fullest scope that one documentary could lend to someone who's new to this subject. Thank you. Yeah, we really tried to get a huge array. Mm -hmm. Paraspen was a really big get for us, Paraspen Stockness, because he Mm -hmm. wrote a book about climate change and why people don't believe in it. I actually heard him on a podcast and I was like, we have to talk to this guy. And it turns out he was going to be in New York for a day. And he said, sure. Tim (laughs) Irvin was kind of the same deal. And Scott Kelly, we had no faith that he was going to agree to sit down with us. But we emailed and that's all we did. We just emailed saying we're making this movie. And his publicist said, this seems like something Scott would be interested in. Oh, cool. We just had to make sure that he understood we were not flat earthers. Yeah. And we were making a documentary because he's been confronted by flat earthers before and he doesn't have really the patience for that. But he does see the value in talking to the subject. And so we got 15 minutes with him before a book signing and a talk with Bill Nye at something in Pasadena. You had 15 minutes with him? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We had to be ready. We were pretty set by the time he got there. Yeah. They wanted us to be in his dressing room though. And we said, no, we're going to get a good background. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Good. Sometimes you have to be a little assertive in those situations. Hannah and I worked on a short documentary together as well, and that was one in Puerto Rico that I directed. It was a very small crew, but I feel like I learned so much about working with other people and being behind the camera and how to create a bond. So can you tell me a little bit about your personal relationship with them? Yeah, the shoots were generally, with the exception of one or two, the conference being one of them, it was just me going out there. So it would be me. I'd bring my camera bag and some audio gear and just go meet them. And I would never, ever just go in with my camera on my shoulder. I would have it sitting in the car or I'd keep it in my bag or whatever and come out and just talk to them for a while and get to know them. I had pizza and root beer with Mark before we started filming anything. Ah, pizza, the great equalizer. Yes, yes, everybody loves it. But, (laughs) you know, we talked on the phone beforehand with most, I think everybody, 
If yeah. not, it was at least long emails. And so we all had knowledge of each other and we'd all had spoken directly. But I think it's really important to go out there and meet someone first as a person. And then when you feel comfortable and you feel that they feel comfortable with you, say, okay, I'm going to pick up my camera now. There's no pressure on you to act or do anything. If I need you to move, if I need you to wait a second because I'm by myself and the battery's dead, I'll yell that out. But yeah. generally speaking, I don't want it to feel like they're being filmed, which is why I like to do audio. I mean, I would love someone else to do audio all the time, but that's another body that needs to be there. And a lot of times they'll want to boom. And I think that is intimidating to people. It's so intimidating. Who's used to someone standing in their house like this, no. just staring? And it makes it more of a performance yeah. at that point because you're actually seeing the microphone and you're feeling the presence of the fact that you're being watched and recorded. And if it's a group of people, then you know by where the mic's pointing who's being listened to. But mm. I have electrosonic little wireless packs that I put on everybody and hide. It's great because you put them on, the battery lasts a really long time, and they just forget they're wearing it after a while. And you just yeah. film and you're hearing them. They could be like 100 feet away. <laughs> I would lose people all the time and try to figure out where they were by just <laughs> listening to their environment. Any verbal cues? <laughs> yeah. The whole thing seemed mm -hmm. super natural and super natural, not supernatural. <laughs> I think you did a great job with that. It was great to see how comfortable they all were. Thank you. Yeah, I tried. You know, I would never lie to them or anything like that. I would never say I wasn't who I was or that I believed in flat earth, I would tell them, I do not believe in flat earth. I'm here to capture the community and what it's all about. And I think that was useful because people would introduce me to different crowds and be like, this guy's not a flat earther, but he's cool. <laughs> they would say, oh, wow, you were getting the inside take, yeah. <laughs> but he's cool. Wow. What an honor. They would say like, not yet or something like that. Man, the confidence. <laughs> I was thinking of the scene where he's in a parking lot. I don't think it's Mark. It's uh, Nathan. Nathan? Yes. He so confidently is just approaching people. In that scene, you can see I was not ready for that. Because <laughs> I was like, wait, you're talking to... Okay, hold on. Because the camera like stops moving forward and backs yeah. up. I thought we were going back to the car. <laughs> That's funny. So all of these relationships were created from a cold call? Yeah, more or less. You know, Mark is our inroad. He has his number and email publicly available and he's always doing press and stuff like that. So we called him and he was happy to have us come up. He said, if you're willing to come up, then I'll talk to you. That was it. I'm in LA. He's in Seattle. Woodby Island specifically. Woodby Island, which is gorgeous. That island life up in Seattle is very unique. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Everyone must know him there, I'm assuming. They know him, I think, more from his childhood shenanigans than anything else. He was a bit of a troublemaker. Oh, okay. He was the island's source of illegally made fireworks for a long time. Oh, wow. God. His character just gets deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I'm interested to know what common ground you did find with these subjects in order to build that trust with them. Yeah, you mentioned you have some conspiracy theorists in your life. Well, I mean, it's not even that. Like, you don't have to talk about conspiracies with someone. Mark is a huge fan of movies especially movies from the 80s and 90s and i'm pretty familiar with a lot of those so he would do a lot of references and he would also tell me stories about his childhood and they're endlessly fascinating and i would tell him <laughs> more boring stories from my life <laughs> you know with patricia she had a, a lot of interest in music and things like that so we just connect on other levels other than a conspiracy theory patricia was so cool she's cool i like <laughs> she's patricia. such a cool girl 
Okay, speaking of Patricia, one of my favorite moments <laughs> in the documentary, it's the car moment with Patricia. Mm-hmm. Was that just you in the car with her? Yeah, we were coming back from a Flat Earth meetup at a restaurant that she hosted. Someone came who was not necessarily invited. She's like, all right, this guy has given me some trouble in the past because he was one of the people who was calling her out and saying that she was a CIA agent and all this stuff. He came and was kind of ruining her night. And so she was mad about that. And so that's why she started talking about people who make up conspiracies about her. Do they really believe them or are they just being cruel? She did seem bothered about Mm -hmm. it. She was talking about everything that people believe in her. Her first name, Patricia, ends with CIA, that she was hired by the CIA. And she's like, well, who would believe that? And then she's like, it makes me think that maybe I'm wrong. And then there's a moment then she says, but I know I'm not. And it just kind of exploded in that moment. What was the energy like? Were you like, ooh, I got a good moment? (laughs) Because for me, I was like, she almost just came to Jesus or whatever. The filmmaker part of me was like, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. This is going in the movie. I really wanted Mm -hmm. her to elaborate on it, but she pretty much shut it down Mm. after that. She couldn't go any farther. I think that's as far as anyone can let themselves go when... Mm -hmm they believe in something that is hard to prove so deeply. It also goes along with something else she said where I ask her what sources does she trust and she says unless I am actually blown up in a bombing I'm not going to believe it's real and I think going along with her kind of taking a look at her feelings I think that those are very similar in that even though she can kind of see other people's faults she can't see them in herself because she has to have firsthand experience of it to really make her a believer in something. And so she has firsthand experience of herself, but not of any of the other things that she holds conspiracy theories about. Yeah, that moment made me question a lot in myself as well. I'm like, what do I believe in? That was a goal. Hopefully people did that. I think there were Definitely large segments who did that, who kind of looked at the movie as what we had hoped it to be. You know, maybe take a look at yourself. Maybe take a look at some of the things that you really believe without foundation. But I think there was another group that kind of looked at it to make fun of Flat Earthers, which is an unfortunate side effect when you make a movie about Flat Earthers. And especially when you find such interesting characters, they really did pop off of the screen. So it was entertaining to watch. We did our best. We didn't want to punch down or anything like that. So I like to point out that a lot of the humor in the movie is human humor. It's not because they believe in Flat Earth. It's just really interesting personal moments. Yeah. Do you still keep in contact with them? No, unfortunately. Mark emails us a lot. Basically keeps us up to date on what he's up to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of the other people, it was sad to me because when we showed them the film or when they came to the premieres at different festivals, like Bob Nodell came up to me. He's like, I didn't hate it. I thought it was a pretty good depiction of what was going on. Patricia, kind of the same deal. But as the movie rolled out on Netflix and people started talking about it and it became a post on Reddit, I think the people who had participated in the movie were getting a lot of flack from the community for Mm. doing so. Yeah. So I do feel badly that their standing in their friend groups has been affected by it. And also, I think they don't really care to talk to me anymore. Mm. Hmm. A couple times, I think, Mark referred to you and kind of gave you a side eye and kind of presented you as the media in the room as a way 
it felt like to legitimize the rise of flat earth social prominence and potentially proving that they were onto something positive and right. I was curious how that made you feel in that moment. It didn't bother me because I was like the media, it's me with a camera. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's technically media, but I think that's a misconception that news coverage of something legitimizes its source or it validates their belief. I don't think that's accurate to say. You know, I was talking to someone about it and I think there's an argument to be made that documentaries are a little dangerous. Yeah. And this is my point of view. So people probably say the same thing about Behind the Curve, but things like Plandemic are seen as a source of journalism and a lot of documentaries are seen as journalism. And I don't necessarily think that that's what they are. I think they should be. They should be accurate and they should be truthful. But at the same time, you're trying to tell an entertaining and compelling story. And you don't have the time to get into the details of like, well, technically this happened the day before. We use this reaction shot from a different thing that this person said. So I think when people look at documentaries as complete fact, I think that's inaccurate. I think the spirit of what happened should definitely be true. And if you're lying about that, you're a bad person. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think there's some argument to be made there that I've started analyzing and like, how do I prevent this? And then I thought about like with our next project, we're getting into some not I want I don't want to say conspiracies, but different things that have happened over the years that people maybe disagree on. An idea we had is like, okay, maybe we should put all of our interview transcripts online somewhere or all of our footage and all of our sources that we found archive wise available on a website so you can download every single piece if you really want to investigate how true we were what we edited out or what we edited in to tell the story as succinctly as possible i think that's a weird idea and i think that's a rabbit hole maybe i don't want to go down but i used to work on a show called adam ruins everything have you heard of it i love adam ruins everything (laughs) i hope you liked it i hope i didn't i loved it it's it was such a great show to work on And we have researchers and writers on the show. And I just remember being on set one day. It was kind of chaotic. And one of the writers was there. They're like, well, the episode that's coming out tomorrow, there might be a new scientific study that counteracts that. And it ended up being fine. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's intense. There's a lot of information being put out there. I mean, Mm -hmm. that show specifically, literally, we cite the things on the top. But with documentary, a lot of people watch documentaries and think that they know everything about something and... You hear what they want you to hear. It's definitely Mm. from the perspective of the filmmaker and who's telling the story. The genre of true crime is really fascinating in documentary because they're intentionally withholding information to make the story more compelling. Mm -hmm. Things like Wild Wild Country and The Staircase and even The Keepers. They were withholding information so that when they revealed it, it was really interesting. That is not journalism. I hate that. Well, on one hand, it's why people watch it, Mm -hmm. because they want to know, like, oh, my gosh, not that there was a fingerprint, you know, that kind of thing. That's something they knew all the way from the beginning. But you're trying to tell a story. And so I think you're not wrong for doing that. But for a lot of people who are looking at that as the source of truth, like Tiger King, everybody's like, she definitely killed her husband. Maybe. But you can't tell that based on what was edited together for a documentary that wanted you to think that. Yeah. Also, so what? (laughs) I don't know much about it. I didn't finish Tiger King. (laughs) I watched all of it except for the episode that came out after it was wrapped, I guess. Oh, the reunion episode. (laughs) Yeah, reunion episode featuring Carol's husband's ghost. 
that's one of the crews that I'm, I don't know who worked on that. So sorry if anybody knows them. I feel like I have to be careful what I say when I'm talking to people that work in this industry. But I feel like that, I don't know, something feels sketchy around the stuff that they, you guys didn't watch it. So you're like, I don't know. But I watched the first episode. I watched the first few and it was very sensational. I yeah. thought definitely upping the entertainment value and definitely focusing on what I personally felt were very unhealthy things to focus on. Yeah. Tiger King was not the one for me personally. I had to tap out pretty early. Yeah, for the best. <laughs> but then there's things like, I don't know if you saw McMillions, not to beat this conversation down. Oh, no, no, but no. I, yeah, I saw McMillions, it. McMillions, I thought, was so fun. I thought that was a good unraveling of information but it was also informative and you kind of believed what was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, so I'll need to check it out. Are there certain documentaries that you love going back to for inspiration for what you want to create? I'm always inspired by things that I see. I was really resisting seeing Free Solo because I was like, I get it. It's like a white athlete dude who's really good at climbing and he does it. (laughs) Climbs a rock. Because I know he didn't die because he (laughs) survived and I've seen him and things. But then I actually watched it and I was like, damn it, it's really good. The cinematography is incredible. Yeah. I'm always inspired by the different things that I see like that. But then I also know that it's kind of like playing music or improvising. You're going to fall back on your comfort zone when you're in the middle of it. So I know that when I'm out filming, I want to have the camera on my shoulder. I want to be asking the questions directly. I want them to talk to me. I want to be able to stop them in the middle of something and ask them what's going on right now. So I'm not going to make the super cinematic thing where he's climbing a wall and I have all these robotic cameras. I'm just not going to be that guy. Mm -hmm. But documentaries that I do still think about and things that I feel like are in more my style of capability, and these are really high bars. So (laughs) there's American Movie, which is incredible. Oh, haven't seen that. Adding it to the list. Uh, American Movie deserves all the attention it's ever gotten. It's such a great film. And then there's a documentary that was a few years ago called Dina. It won the Independent Spirit Award, and it's the gem of a movie. (laughs) King of Kong was a big inspiration for Behind the Curve. We watched that actually and said, well, how do we make King of Kong but with Flat Earth? (laughs) People have referred to it as King of Kong-esque, so that's really exciting Oh, hey, congratulations, Daniel. (laughs) That's awesome. We loved the editing. I thought there were a couple of cuts that just made it so funny. Like the pan to the button great the cut from we're not all just living in our mom's basement cut to mark i want to to say something about that too yeah because a lot of people point to that and definitely in theaters i notice it gets a laugh and caroline the other producer on the project she always points to it as a really good example of seeing only what you want to but that edit truth be told is just a technical thing we were trying to figure out how we get back to mark's story you know and we had that beat and the scenes were in a slightly different order and nick and i were talking about the edit and we're like what if we just went from that line to mark then it's doing something and it's also getting us back to mark because if you notice the theme of those two scenes are pretty different yeah but it's this handoff that's just like here you go here's a new scene but it's building on the last one so There's like a weird technical thing that we needed to do that, but also it really worked out for the story and that's filmmaking. It's fun when that works out. That is the synchronicity of filmmaking. I love that kind of stuff so much. When you made this documentary, I was wondering if there was something that you expected to find or 
receive in the process that maybe you didn't or if that expectation changed in some way? Yeah, I think I maybe expected a little more pushback from me being there, but I was usually pretty welcome. Things in our movie that I was surprised existed were the love story. Yes. (laughs) Did not expect that. And then the infighting and the animosity was not something we really knew about Mm. when we went into it. It's something we learned about pretty quickly, but we were like, what the heck is this? Why are people saying negative things about other people in the community that seems counterproductive? Oh my gosh, yeah. That guy who requested how much money? Oh, Matt, yeah. Matt was, you know, he... Wait, Matt? Math. Math. Okay, I was like, math. His name is Matt, (laughs) Matt Boyland, but he also goes by Math Powerland, and I think legally now it's math powerland strong i know he and his wife have a child and i think their last name is powerland was his wife the woman in the background that seemed really uninterested (laughs) and like on her phone all the time everyone always asks who's the woman in the background is she okay okay? (laughs) i think usually when she's on her phone she's actually reading the comments of the video oh okay okay i think that's usually what's Mm -hmm. going on not to pull the air out of that fun bubble (laughs) No, no, no. We're interested in finding the truth, Daniel. That's right. That's right. So math was a really interesting thing because we talked to him on the phone and he seemed fine with us coming out to meet him. We're like, great. But we also knew he was kind of a wild card. Yeah. And so we sent him a release ahead of time saying, we'd appreciate if you sign this before we come out. Mm -hmm. And then he came back with a very negative response. We went back and forth a bunch with him and that was the last of it. So what you see in the movie is kind of where the terms broke down. Sure. We're like, we don't pay people to be in movies, and we don't give them creative control, and no. That's yeah. not how it works, buddy. But he said it does. He said he's he's been in documentaries before, and that's the terms that he got on it. So we're like, good for you. Yeah. That's rare. That's rare. What documentary? I have no idea if he was telling the truth or not. Yeah. yeah. But I have a suspicion. One question for you. Do you think that potentially, through this documentary, you have convinced people to either be a flat earther or the other side of the spectrum maybe a flat earther saw this documentary and was like hmm interesting i don't think necessarily that if someone's a flat earther watching this movie they're going to throw down their beliefs and say they don't believe in flat earth anymore but according to dr ashley landrum who we met in chicago at a screening who was part of a discussion we were doing there she basically said that generally what this movie does, hopefully, in its best version, is inoculating people against believing in Flat Earth or kind of making people at least have an extra barrier of self-awareness before they maybe jump into a conspiracy. I hope that's true. I don't know if it is, but that's what an expert said to me. We love experts. (laughs) It's definitely affected me. And that way I'm constantly thinking about what I believe. And I'm like, well, what if one of my core beliefs is actually insane? Am I crazy? I don't know. (laughs) But I know I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) But I know I'm not. Yeah. Well, with you working on Adam Ruins Everything, I feel like it's a similar vibe. When I was out on shoots, I would listen to a podcast called You Are Not So Smart, which is a very similar thing, only it deals with psychological phenomenons. Phenomena. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably the same mindset of I'm always evaluating how I know and why I know what I know. Exactly. And I actually enjoy doing that. I love getting my reality ripped away. And I love knowing that I will probably never Mm -hmm. know. And some people struggle with that, I think. Yeah, for sure. 
Did you find any parallels between all of the flat earth believers that you've met? Do you think that there's something that makes someone more prone to being a flat earther in general? A more common thing would be isolation. That's what I've found. I think you find the same thing with a lot of people who are really into religion and church. Again, it's their group of friends. If you're not religious, though, where do you go? And then you find some conspiracy people online. It's endlessly interesting. I mean, if everything's a lie and you're the one who figured it out, that's really fun to talk about. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's really hard to blanket it all, and I wouldn't dare to. But I do think that the people we follow, that seem to be a pretty consistent factor. Maybe not the cause, but definitely a correlation. The themes of finding community and identity were certainly apparent to me. We were talking about the moment when you question Mark about, well, are you the mayor in this scenario? The way that you captured him as a subject, I think it built this image of a person who was very interested in recognition. And that was very interesting to me. And I think that's something we all generally appreciate. Yeah. People don't love celebrity, but you know, being appreciative of what you've done, that doesn't feel bad. Not at uh, all. I think the majority of people would say, that's a nice feeling and I like it. I'm going to do what I can to keep doing it. You both are interviewing me about something that I worked on. Like, that feels cool. And it's really exciting for me that when people want to talk about it and watch it three times. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> people call out millennials a lot for having that vibe, but I don't think it's millennial-centric. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like to point out when people are like, yeah, you guys all want a trophy. I'm like, our parents gave us the trophies. We didn't yeah. It's the boomer's fault once again. Once again. Once again. <laughs> I'm glad we can all agree on this. Yeah. Uh, it's the other generation's fault, not ours. But if you're listening and you're a boomer, we love you. <laughs> Is there anything you would like anyone to know about the film from your perspective or anything you want to reveal about the making of it that you think is especially worth sharing? Well, for anyone wanting to make documentaries, I didn't have a ton of money in a grant. I just literally flew up by myself. I mean, I had a camera that I was borrowing from a friend, so I had that. But as long as you get someone interesting telling an interesting story, I think that's something worth shooting and worth exploring. It's hard to justify dropping everything in your life and going to make something but we made this on the weekends and over holiday weekends and things like that like I had a wedding to go to in Philadelphia and I was able to get two interviews when I was out there efficient yeah <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that if you have an idea and you really want to try something just go do it and try one or two shoots if it turns out to be nothing or the person's not interesting on camera or the story doesn't seem to be what you thought it was and that doesn't interest you anymore then you can let it go and just maybe hold on to the footage on a hard drive and if someone ever wants it, you give it to them. <laughs> if you have the means to do it and you have the confidence in yourself, you can go out there and make something interesting. I like that. I'm feeling ready. Let's go do it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's another great thing about working with people that you have a good connection with. You're on the same page about what you want to create and you each have something to contribute mm -hmm. technically, creatively, however. Nothing can stop you. Yeah, our team, Caroline, Nick, and me. Caroline's an ace producer. She's just so great. Shout out to Caroline. What's her last name? Caroline Clark. We're not related. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She had no problem 
contacting people and figuring out who we could interview. She was the one who contacted Scott Kelly and all of our interview subjects. And she's like, sure, I'll do it. And me, I'm like, but what if they say no? And <laughs> yeah. Caroline's like, well, then they say no and you don't do it. I was like, oh. I guess <laughs> Nick is a genius editor and he's great with music and storytelling and structure. And then I fill in whatever I can. I will say, and this doesn't have to make the show, I know you're editing a ton of this, but <laughs> personal or just spread this gospel to whoever. Yeah. The most important thing in, in your documentary is the sound. Get yourself a really nice lav kit, not like a Sony one or a Sennheiser one. Get a nice one that costs way too much money because <laughs> it'll last for decades and just learn how to use it right. Do it because sound is the only thing that matters. If you don't have Bob from across the party saying what I just told you is confidential, <laughs> then you don't have anything. Because you can shoot on an iPhone if you have good sound. You can shoot on an iPhone. You can fill it in with animation. You can get some weird B-roll, anything. Yeah, exactly. Sound is key. Yeah, that's a hot tip. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for talking with us. This was a real treat. <laughs> I appreciate you asking to talk. See, you just reached out and I was like, sure. I'll do yeah, it. slid no into problem. the DMs. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> is there anything you have coming up that you'd like to keep everyone on the lookout for once quarantine is over i'm going to be back out there trying to find the ninth planet in the solar system nice we're waiting with bated breath hope we find it in the next year and a half because any longer than that it's gonna be too long i mean how long can we look for a planet honestly yeah we have good telescopes (laughs) i'm an instant fan of yours so i will definitely be keeping an eye out for it that's very kind of you thank you very much all right well thanks so much for talking to us yeah good luck with everything bye thanks you too bye Levels are looking nice and beefy. Nice and spicy levels we got. (laughs) But not too spicy. Not too spicy. All right, do you want to intro us back in? (sighs) Yeah, you got this. I can do the intro back in and and we can just see what happens. All right, here we go. (laughs) All right. Boo! No, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. All right, we're back. And that was our interview with Director Daniel. Director Daniel. Sherilyn. Yes. How are you feeling? It was great to have him on the show. It was great to hear all his insight. I think that one thing that I was kind of jealous of was the fact that he just goes out with a camera and his mic and captured great stuff with just okay. him. Yeah. You don't need fancy stuff except for apparently a very expensive mic. <laughs> yep. Sound is everything. We learned that for sure. I thought it was really cool to hear him talk about how some of his favorite documentaries were not his style. The idea that there are genres within documentary filmmaking just as much as there is in narrative filmmaking. There's a lot of different kinds. There are. I've been watching a lot of documentaries lately the normal amount of documentaries for me. Mm -hmm. But it is cool to see that a documentary can still be so damn good and not completely focus on a gorgeous cinematic portrait of the person that they're interviewing and still have an impact. I think this documentary particularly 
juggled a lot of different elements. I mean, how many talking heads were in this documentary? The science teacher that came in for literally two comments throughout the entire documentary. Just the scope of how much information this documentary was taking in and how it was able to organize it and keep it so that we were always on the same page as the filmmaker. That's just a different way of me saying it was really well put together, which we've said like 15 times already. So well, you really put it together. It was (laughs) probably helpful that they edited as they went. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's He's got a nice little crew there. Yeah, the mind melding. And that's a theme I think we've also been touching on in this very young show so far is understanding that good films are made as a team effort. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the right team, you're not going to get the product. I feel like that applies to not just documentaries. Yeah. You want people that you vibe with. Totally. We had a moment where we were kind of critical of other documentaries and their audience saying like, someone will watch a documentary and they'll be like, I understand the subject now. I know everything that there is about veganism Mm -hmm. or about the fast food industry or whatever the subject matter is. And then Mm -hmm. we were saying like, that's not the case when you watch a documentary. Maybe just take it with a grain of salt. Right. And then I watched the John Lewis good trouble documentary oh i haven't heard of that one okay so for those of you who don't know john lewis politician activist he fought for the rights of black people in america to vote and he was there marching and speaking with martin luther king he recently passed away so this documentary came out and then john lewis passed away Mm. it's an incredible documentary you should go watch it i watched that documentary and then i thought back to what we talked about with daniel and i was like Maybe this is an example of a documentary that you should just kind of take in. They do an incredible job with archival footage and interviews. Like, it's John Lewis. It's it's him speaking. So I was like, they don't really teach this in history books. They don't really teach this in mainstream media. Yeah, no, I've never heard of him. And he's famous. In the documentary, he was walking through the airport, getting stopped. People were mm-hmm. very happy to see him. He had yeah. these stories. I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't know anything about him, but it's mm-hmm. okay. Now I do, and I will continue to educate myself. I was like, no, this is a documentary that you should take this for face value and then use this as a foundation for continuing to learn about mm-hmm. the history of oppressed people. And this is a documentary made by people of color who are extremely educated and they're leaders in like this movement we should take this not with a grain of salt that's just my opinion that's my opinion (laughs) i think it's healthy to always question who is presenting this information to me what tools and tactics are they using to give me this information and then understanding what their goal is ultimately is it to educate is it a call to action and I think if you are applying these very healthy questions with this documentary it sounds like you'll be able to say cool I feel really confident that this piece of filmmaking is enriching as it is being presented to me. Yeah, I guess just be a critical thinker anytime you watch anything is the baseline. Right, 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 right. 
And you have to be aware for people who abuse the power that comes with filmmaking because a lot of us grew up on television. Yeah, for Our parents sure. and us ourselves. And we take a lot of social cues from media. So when people are presenting things as fact in front of your face and it looks presentable and aesthetically pleasing, we are more likely to just kind of accept it as fact which I think is a phenomenon we need to be aware of. (laughs) There was this one crazy example in the movie Die Hard. The guy on the plane tells John to take his shoes off when he gets to the hotel room and rub his feet on the ground to relieve his migraine or whatever. So people took that little thing from the movie but that doesn't actually do anything i mean maybe there's some sort of placebo effect but ultimately that was just a plot device to get his shoes off so that he could be quiet when he realizes that he has to leave or the building or something i don't know Whoa. I thought that was really eye-opening. It's so crazy because i remember even when i first started making little youtube videos and stuff and would show my friends and family. They'd be like, oh, wow, I didn't know this. This was interesting or whatever. I just felt like, oh, shit, I'm responsible for teaching them that one thing that I said. And just because it has nice B-roll, it Mm. looks believable. Yeah, it all of a sudden becomes authoritative. Yeah. There was one documentary that really shook how I watch documentaries kind of with this new layer of what is being presented to me and how and how is that working on my internal chemistry Mm -hmm. and that documentary was Michael Gondry or Michelle Gondry's is the man who is tall happy have you heard of it Mm -mm. it was on Netflix for a while but I don't know if it's there anymore it was very heady basically Michelle Gondry was having these interviews with Noam Chomsky, who, if you're unaware, is this philosopher, and he's quite known in the philosophy realm or whatever. I I had heard his name before, but I had no idea who he was before this documentary. Yeah. And anyways, it's kind of a dense documentary because they're talking about how humans see consistency and how we create these narratives for how the world works, even though maybe that's not physically how it's happening, like in physics, I mean. Yeah. So very, very interesting stuff. But at the very beginning of the documentary, the director, he's just like, listen, I get it. When you watch documentaries, I'm totally paraphrasing. He does not talk like I talk, but (laughs) he's like, listen up, bitch. (laughs) No, I am absolutely paraphrasing. Michelle Gondry does not. He has a beautiful French accent. And he basically addresses the audience and says, what you're about to see is a documentary. It is someone's ideas placed in front of you to allow you to step away and have your own thoughts. I'm not going to show you the person talking all of the time. I'm going to show you drawings that I did that were inspired by what Noam Chomsky is saying or what is being said in the conversation so that you are able to also see what you are interpreting in that moment. Every movie should have some sort of opener like that. Everyone needs to learn this lesson at the very least. And the fact that he did that for his audience, Mm -hmm. it changed the way that I 
understood what I was watching. Yeah. Also, Noam Chomsky. What a great name. Highly recommend that. I had to watch that documentary in three goes, though, because it is so dense and I really was interested in understanding it all. Yeah. But the lesson rings true for every single movie I watch, especially documentaries. Hmm. So just be a critical thinker, everyone. (laughs) Yes. Wow. How pretentious of me to say. Just (laughs) use your brains. It is... (laughs) crazy because even people that work in this industry and know everything that goes into the pre-production the production and the post-production and the magic and the lighting and the editing even people that are hyper aware of how all of that works in film are still heavily affected Mm -hmm. by filmmaking or by films absolutely they're still susceptible to echo chambers just as much as anyone let me not even get into our implicit biases biases i biases a lot of this podcast is going to be me asking hannah if i'm being grammatically correct (laughs) and me shrugging and saying yeah that sounds right (laughs) and then me being like well it's because i just speak so many languages it's confusing sometimes go (laughs) play that card that card is a sexy card to play i just i speak so many languages i get confused (laughs) suddenly my accent changes All right. right. Um, Anyway, final thoughts on Behind the Curve, directed by Daniel. (laughs) Okay. By Daniel Day Clark. (laughs) Daniel Day Lark. Final thoughts on Behind the Curve, directed by Daniel Clark. What's the scale? For me, I think it's going to be how many flatters? How many globes? How many? Yeah, I don't. How many globes? <laughs> Do you remember in the documentary, one of the guys, I think it was the guy that was bouncing the ping pong ball, he like yeah. referred to it as a ball. Instead of the globe, he said, people think it's a ball. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a funny moment. But okay. Um, so let's rate this documentary. It was a good one for me. As you know, I would watch it more. I'd watch it more times with more people. It's a fun one to watch with people. I would love to watch it again with a friend. <laughs> so sad. I know. I'd love a friend. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, um, <laughs> let's see. I'm going to rate it 4.5 out of 5. So four and a half globes. So one of those globes is technically flat. Nice. I think I would give this two globes and two flat earths i felt like it was balanced and human and interesting and very very entertaining so yeah i was a fan for sure nice i'm glad we got a chance to watch this because it came out a couple years ago but it's still on netflix and i hope it makes the rounds on people's screens in total it's a successful film right Sherilyn? yes well everyone that is a wrap on the show for today what did you think did your mind change about the world at all let us know your thoughts on instagram at we live in a film society and follow us on twitter at live film society oh, one of these days i'll be able to talk right <laughs> all right thanks everyone for listening stay vigilant out there See you on the other side. Bye, everyone. When we cut, we can definitely do a quick like, hey, everyone, Hannah's audio sucks because we got sloppy.
We. I'm just and kidding. And by we, I mean me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a collective effort. 